today, either this Sunday or next, and I can't remember if it was the first Sunday in January or the second Sunday in January, um, four years ago was the first service for Church on the Street. So we're, we're four years old now. The first Sunday. And just for my curiosity, if you were, if you were part of Church on the Street, that very beginning, stand up for me just real quick. Patty and Keith, Chris and Kristen, Teresa, Steckroth, and Daniel and Jessica Palmer. It's amazing. I mean, God is, huh? Oh, Ben and Kim back in the other room, yeah. It's amazing to me. The people that, I mean, you know, came in the beginning, just honestly because they just loved me and Teresa and they thought this is where they were called, but they weren't called here. They were, they were here because God sent them for a season and they were all so important to us in that season, but they're not here anymore. And, and there's not a single person that I'm aware of that has, you know, kind of passed through here for a season and left, that left on any kind of bad terms. Everybody, good terms. How awesome, eh? All right. Well, God, I just thank you for what you're doing here. And I know that it's just going to be even more awesome and more people are going to get saved and every life is going to get transformed by the renewing of their minds and that we, Lord, are going to be a city on a hill. If we're not already, maybe we're just a little city on a little hill. And whether we're always forever small in numbers, so we're going to be large in the power of the kingdom of heaven and we'll make a difference for your kingdom, Lord. I just know it. I just declare it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. All righty. You know, when we first started out, <laughs> you'll see the reason why discipleship is the first thing on our list. When we first started out, uh, we did a survey because we had this plan for small groups, and, and in the small groups, we were going to kind of have a, a, a consistent conversation in all the different groups. And um, two of the questions in the survey went like this. The, one of them was, how long, ago, how long have you been a Christian? You know, for how many years or weeks or days or months have you been saved? And of the group we started with, the average Christian age was 14 years. Yeah, that's pretty substantial, huh? We got rid of most of them, but... <laughs> but here's, here's the scary part. One of the other questions on the survey was, describe how a person comes to salvation. Now, understand, we weren't 300 people, right? I mean, we might have been 20, 15, 20 people, something like that. 14 years average age, nine different answers as to how a person comes to faith, how a person comes to be saved. Matter of fact, let me ask you a question. If, if, I, if I had a person right here today that did not know the gospel and wasn't saved, raise your hand if you feel like you could properly lead them to their salvation. Now leave your hand up. Leave them up. Now leave them up if you'd feel comfortable or even excited for the opportunity. Okay, that's honest. Awesome. That's really good. That's really, really good. Whenever I talk about salvation, you'll, I don't think, I mean, it's not like I consciously do this, but you'll never hear me do it without mentioning both the statement of faith in Jesus Christ as, as the payment for our sin debt and also the requirement of his lordship over our lives. And that's kind of what today's message is going to be about. I thought I was going to take each of these topics that were on the front of the bulletin and share with you some scripture and a little bit of story about how we feel like the Lord has led us to this place. Matter of fact, let me say thank you because I asked everybody to come. If any of you are here because I actually asked you to come, thank you so much for being here. It's, it's important that you hear this message and that in your heart you connect with it because it really is where the Lord's taking us. So I thought I'm going to preach this message that was going to be kind of easy because all this is, I have a passion for this. And, and, and I have a lot of scripture to support it. 
but it's not where the message went. Where the message went was kind of a message about this difference between Jesus being the Lord of our lives and us having faith, and that, that the faith that saves us isn't just a mental assent. It isn't just that I agree with the Bible that Jesus is Savior. The message is like the faith that saves us is a faith that does something. So all of these things, they're do-something kind of, kind of things, and I think what the Lord is, is wanting us to hear today, and honestly, I say us. If I say you, understand, I mean us, because I have been so personally convicted in this walk of what God is calling his church to do. And, and maybe it has to come to me first before you know come to you, and, and you have to figure out where you're at in this process, because everybody's in a different spot. But I've been very personally convicted to stand myself next to the scriptures and see where there's any delta and see how in the world, I'm, or not in the world, <laughs> in the spirit, I'm going to close those gaps so that ultimately my goal is that I would walk as Jesus walked and I would be a perfect reflection of Jesus Christ. So the areas that the Lord is, the kind of the arrow points that we're going to put our wood behind, the first is discipleship. And I gave you a, um, an example of why discipleship is so important. If we have an average age of 14 Christian years and nine different answers, we're running around telling people how they get saved. There's only one answer, how you get saved. That's not a good statement of discipleship, that that discipleship has been effective. So discipleship is really important. And there's all these different methods. This right now is discipleship. Right now you are being discipled. The Holy Spirit has discipled me into these scriptures and helped to get them pulled together into what I hope for you will be a coherent message. But this is discipleship. We've got the men's ministry that's going to start. It's very important, discipleship. And it's not all this kind of discipleship. There's, there's a guy I listen to uh, pretty regularly, actually, when I'm making breakfast for me and Annika. His name is Andy Stanley. His dad is Charles Stanley, if you ever heard of Charles Stanley. Both very famous, you know, internationally known, mega church kind of pastor guys. And Andy Stanley talks about discipleship in terms of rows and circles, rows and circles, rows and circles. This is rows. That's where we come together, large group meeting, you all sit in rows, and somebody disciples you. That's an effective tool for discipleship, but it's not the only tool for discipleship. And if the only way you're getting discipled is in rows, then we need to work on that. The other way he talks about is circles. So just the other day, um, Teresa had gotten a DVD that she had uh, seen this guy speak at this amazing event down in Monroe. And they actually published his messages into a video, a DVD, and we watched it. It was super powerful. And I was talking to somebody, I said, wow, you should see this video. So that man and me and a third man, we met over here in the parsonage and we played the, the DVDs and we heard what the guy said and we, we talked about the scriptures and, and we ended up ministering to the third guy. It was discipleship, but that's a circle. A small group is a circle. When you meet somebody at Panera Bread and you open the scriptures, that's a circle. And so we're discipling in rows and we're discipling in circles, whether it's a formal small group or even more importantly, that we get together and we disciple. We taught a class across the parking lot, and we, and we talked foundational things. What does it mean to be? What does the Bible teach to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And all we did was read the scriptures, and we let the Holy Spirit speak to us through the scriptures, and we talked about the scriptures. Well, those people are now very well prepared to say, hey, let's go to Panera, let's have coffee. I got these scriptures. Let's talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Circles, Okay. The second thing is the least of these. And, and the least of these has always been, from day one, 
our reference to Matthew 25, where Jesus um, is speaking. It, it's of judgment, and there's goats and there's sheep. And, and Jesus separates, the, and he puts, from your perspective, it would be the, the goats on the left and the sheep on the right, and the goats literally go to hell. And the sheep literally go to heaven. And the difference between the two is one group, the goats, neglected Jesus in their life on earth. And the other group, the sheep, did not neglect Jesus. And they both asked the question, well, Lord, when was it that I neglected you? And when was it that I didn't neglect you? And Jesus gave examples of things that they did or they didn't do. And ultimately to both of them, he said, whenever you did these things to the least of these brothers of mine, you did them unto me. And whatever you didn't do them to the least of these brothers of mine, you didn't do them unto me. And the doing or the not doing was literally um, how Jesus separated the sheep from the goats on that judgment day. So for us at, at Church on the Street, he's stirring us so much towards the orphan, so much towards the orphan. And the orphan can be adoption, the orphan can be foster care, the orphan can be this thing we'll introduce to you called safe families where where you can kind of get kind of get kind of half a foot in the water to just just see whether or not God might be calling you in that direction and it's also this thing um, that, that we call aged out where we're going to develop tools for men and ladies to be mentors there are there are literally children that come straight from their mother's womb into foster care exit foster care 18 or 21 years later having never had a family they might have lived in 20 or 30 or 40 different homes over the course of their young lives. And they need some kind of stable structure. And we're going to figure out who they are, and we're going to offer ourselves to them as stable structure. So I'm not, I'm not going to talk in depth about any of these particular things, but I just want you to get a sense for where the Lord is leading the church. And it's interesting that these things, they pop up everywhere. So it's not like we're special. We're just catching the wind. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is wind. The, the word that they use is pneuma. It's wind. And, and the wind of the Spirit is blowing through the church of Jesus Christ, and it's blowing the same tune. It's always been blowing the tune. The Holy Spirit has always been blowing the tune of the orphan, right? But he's stirring us for now because it's the end times, and the end is near. And there's a lot to do because the wedding banquet's got to be full. Okay, um, the next topic would be reaching people. And, and we will have some formal evangelism because we have people that are you know, formally gifted with evangelism. And, and they're going to figure out what they're going to do. But I'm personally ready to throw my hands in the air with regard to um, structured evangelism. And, and again, remember, I, I prayed nobody get offended. But you know, we, we, we try to do stuff, and not too many people participate which then the devil gets in my head, and i got to battle with that whole thing. But then nobody comes to know Jesus so much. I mean, we're a blessing, and you know, some people get prayed for, and that's awesome. But there has been, to the best of my knowledge, of the few major kind of things we've done, zero fruit, if you measure fruit by souls saved, from whatever we've tried to do that was you know, kind of a big group thing. So that isn't going to be our primary focus. Our primary focus is to come to the place of confidence in the Holy Spirit that each and every one of us is Jesus incarnate in this planet, in this place, in that grocery store. And we're going to walk that way. And we're going to be attentive to the opportunity that the Holy Spirit brings to us. And what we'll find is, whether they come to church on the street or they go to church, I don't care, but the kingdom of God will be increased. And when Jesus, 
who suffered for every soul that was ever conceived from day one to day whenever it's done, he paid a price. And that he should be rewarded with every one of those souls that he paid such a price for. And we're going to see him get his reward because we're actually going to be Jesus evangelists. See, Jesus encompassed, we talk about the, I should have put this in my message, the scripture, the five kind of offices of the church, what maybe is five or maybe it's four and a half, depending on how you read the scriptures, but the, evan- or the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And, and, and some people think the pastor and the teacher are kind of one, but if you've ever seen somebody who has a truly anointed teaching gift, then you'd understand that those people stand on their own, whether they're pastor or not. But the Jesus, he, he encompassed all of the offices. He is the head of the body, and he has all those things, and he's inside of us. So while I may be gifted, you, <laughs> gift is the Bible's word. You might not see it as a gift, but gifted as a pastor. And I know that I am because of the way God breaks my heart and the way that he makes me think. I know that that's true. But he may not have gifted me as a prophet, but he lives inside of me, and he can use me to prophesy. And he can use me in some apostolic way if he chooses to. And he can use me as a teacher. And he can use me as an evangelist. Why? Because he's inside of me. Okay? All right. So reaching people. The next top topic is ministry. And ministry kind of falls into two grand areas. The first grand area, I always just call it blocking and tackling. We are not a really excellent blocking and tackling church. We don't have a program that says, because we got this gravel parking lot and it's slippery, that somebody's going to be out there making sure that no woman walks from a car through the snow into the door, blocking and tackling. The people that come in here, maybe at 1035 and they've never been here before, and there's nobody to greet them at the door and make sure that they can find a place to sit, blocking and tackling. And, And by not establishing blocking and tackling kind of ministries, people are not being given the opportunity to exercise the gifts that God has given them to do. Okay, so that, that's kind of the one side. The other side is, is ministering to people. The body has got to become healthy and strong. There's so much... I got rebuked by a 12-year-old the other day because I said, but I don't know if I can say crap, but there's so much crap that we drag around with us that, that got taken care of at the cross. The blood of Jesus took care of it, and the lion devil gets in our head, and we drag our sorry selves around. Oh, look at that bright light city on a hill. Oh, I just want to be like that guy. You know what I'm saying? That, that we have to minister to one another. And, and we have to be prepared to minister to one another. The power of God lives inside of us for the deliverance from all these things that are messing with us, all these sicknesses and diseases. But you've got to rise up. Because if I would have put those scriptures in my message, I am preaching, man. I, don't have, I haven't looked at my notes yet. You're thinking, oh my gosh, I hope when he starts it won't take us till 3 in the afternoon. See, that scripture that talks about the five offices of the church, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, it says exactly what their purpose is. I, I almost played it today, too. We got this video called Pastor Beeper, you know. Here's this guy, oh, look at you, oh, woman, sad story, terrible. Hang on just a minute, beep, 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 beep. This poor guy's carrying his groceries, pastor, yeah, what can I do? Oh, I think she's not saved. And he goes, continues on with his little jog, you know, all these things. Pastor Beeper was not God's plan. Oh, Lord, you know. Anyway, Pastor Beeper's one of my favorites. I hate it. The, the job of the apostle, of the prophet, 
of the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher is the equipping of the church, of the saint, to do the works of ministry. So if you have this sense like, oh, you know, I had people tell me this. I got this friend that they need to be prayed for. Pray for him. Well, I can't pray for him. You do it. Well, why do I do it? Because you're the pastor. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I don't really have that much of that problem, but, but you've got to come to a place in your mind. And I know some of you are. I'm, 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 speaking, I'm painting with a very broad brush. You've got to come to a place in your mind where you understand you are the church. All my job is, is here is to, to give what God gives me as, as his spirit moves on you the enablement to do the ministry. And then when I'm not here, I'm just a guy like you doing the ministry at the grocery store, wherever the Holy Spirit makes an appointment for me, just part of Jesus' body, okay? All right, ministry. Whew. And the last one, it's not a doing thing, but it has to be a desiring thing. And that is that God has this gift. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's been kicked around and, and bantied about and talked about with tongues. And, you know, everybody gets emotional over the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, you ought to get emotional in your desire to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whether you have it because you speak in tongues or, you, I, you know, it's like, mm, we could talk about that one. That would make a nice circle conversation. But the point is, Jesus told his church, the little bit of church that he had at that time, that he was gone. He's on his way up to see the Father, and there to go wait in the city, and something was going to happen. And he called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they did. They waited, and they waited, and they prayed, and some of them didn't wait, and they left. And however many were actually in that place, in that moment, which we call the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell on the church and baptized them with power. And the baptism of power is so that we will be his witness. And I don't know if witness just means that we'll say the right words because he'll give us the right words when it's time to speak, or we'll be his witness in the, the light that's on our lives, or if we'll be his witness in that when we lay hands on the sick, they get healed. I think that's the witness. It's the power to be Jesus' witness. So look in the scriptures, read the gospels, and follow Jesus around. And every time you see Jesus witnessing, say, that's me. Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I can't quote that scripture very well. Luke 4.18, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to do all these things. Witness, that's the witness. So we're going to, I don't know really how to do this because I've prayed for lots of people because I'm passionate about it. And I've never actually seen what I would be able to say like, I, like they saw it in the Bible. Wow, that person got baptized right then because I laid hands on him and asked for it. Maybe something happened, maybe it didn't. I don't know. But I've never had that experience. But there are people that have that experience that God has gifted them where they lay hands just like we see with Paul in Ephesus or um, I think it's Peter in Samaria or uh, Peter when he's with um, Cornelius in his house. You know, these different instances where, wow, something happened. They got baptized and everybody knew it. Those people with that anointing exist and we're going to find them. Maybe they're even here, I don't know. But the, the, the last thing is, all this stuff, discipleship, awesome. You know, ministry, awesome. Reaching lost people, wonderful. All that stuff, great. Without the power to witness, it's a waste of time. It's like, it's like prophesying without love, right? It's just a, a clanging symbol, just a noisy thing. Because if, if love isn't, isn't at the base, at the foundation of all that stuff, it's just noise. Well, all the rest of this is just 
busy stuff without the baptism and the fire of the Holy Spirit burning inside of us that it gets actually done. Maybe that's what it means. That scripture is funny. It says in James chapter 5, it says, the fervent effectual prayers of a righteous man will avail much. Maybe it's the, it's the effectual part happens because of the power of the Holy Spirit in there. Wow. Well, you all have a great week. That was about as good a sermon as I think I can preach. I don't, I don't even know if I, if I have the courage to touch my notes now. I'm going to ask you some questions. <laughs> I promise you, this is real. It's not fake. In Toronto, there is this guy. Well, it, he comes to Toronto, and they use him to pray and stuff once in a while. There's this guy from the Ukraine, and he gets under the anointing. Is it like a trumpet? I mean, he starts making this crazy noise. I'm like, I would be so embarrassed. But there's so much power happening. It's a presence of God. You know what I'm talking about, the guy with the... You know, the Baptist preacher that comes to be like a Baptocostal, every story I've read, he says, he's like, Lord, any of this stuff but tongues. Just, I'm with you, but no tongues. Well, you know that guy just sealed his fate, right? So I almost said, God, anything but the... (laughs) Oh, Lord. Okay. So I need to ask you these questions because you need to have these questions in your mind as you're hearing the scriptures that I'm going to read to you today, okay? The first question is, who are you? And, and, and be honest with yourself. Nobody has to stand up and say who they are or, or what that means to them. But I want, you to, I want you to ponder these things in your mind. The second is, how do you perceive yourself with regard to being Christian? Right? You have a picture in your mind of what it means to be Christian. How do you see yourself with regard to that picture in your mind? And then the next one is, what do you see as your role in God's kingdom? Not eternally, but on earth right now. What do you see as your role in God's kingdom on this earth right now? Then the next one is, do you see yourself as even having a role? I mean, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but if if, if you, do you, potentially you could perceive I'm doing my role right now. I'm I'm suffering through you. I'll be done in a little while and I will do my role again next Sunday. That might be it. I don't know, but it's a serious question. Do you perceive yourself as even having a role? And then, the last question is this. If you do, if you perceive yourself as having any kind of role, however little or big that might be, do you perceive your role in the kingdom on earth as a part of your life or do you perceive it as your life? Okay. Remember I told you about little chunks and big chunks? God is really teaching me context, context, context. So I was going to read to you Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, except the first word in Romans 12, 1 is therefore. So it's like, how can I talk about therefore if I don't at least go look at what therefore is therefore? So... <laughs> remember that spirit you asked for, Teresa? Wasn't it you or was it... Who was it asked for that? Was it you? It was you, yeah. Looks like that God heard that prayer. Okay, so this is the therefore that comes before Romans 1 and 2. It's 11, Romans 11:36. 11, For from him, 
and through him and to him. This is a capital H in each of these contexts. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Now chapter 12 starts with this. Therefore, because all things are from him, through him, and to him, all the glory is his. Because of that, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you, you, may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I started here because we have to understand that however we started, right? He took us just as we are. But we are being prepared by the Holy Spirit to be the bride of Jesus. And we can't be presented to Jesus as his bride just as nasty as he found us, right? There has to be some change that happens. So we are going to present ourselves. He's urging us to present ourselves, not as this unholy, you know, nasty person to this holy Jesus as bride, that you would present yourself as holy and acceptable, holy and acceptable unto God to be the bride of Jesus. And that as this process happens of transformation, as your mind is renewed, your thinking changes, that you would actually be the vehicle that God uses to prove what is his will, that which is good and perfect. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Paul says to Timothy, it is a trustworthy statement, for if, if is so important, if we died with him, Jesus, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. When you receive Jesus, whether anybody explained it to you or not, what you were committing to was your own death. You died when you received Jesus to yourself. Is it your mindset that you died, or at the very least, are dying to yourself. <clears throat> Scripture says that you are not your own. Do you perceive yourself as your own? I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you like I'm this holy guy standing up here. I live this Scripture almost every single day because the, the Holy Spirit, in His goodness convicts me of things that are not acceptable and that are not holy that can't be part of what he's going to present to jesus as his bride i, I live this stuff and and it's a scripture that comes to me all the time it's like so and so needs help with such and such or whatever and i don't want to do it i just don't want to be bothered with it but i feel like the lord is saying hey you know you need i want you to go do this and it's like well if i think that i own myself then i tell god when i go and when i don't go but if i understand that i don't own myself that I gave myself away for this, what was the Christmas thing? The great exchange. That, that's what happened, the great exchange. It's not always so great now, but it's, it's super great later, right? 
that's the, that's the mindset. That's part of the transformation as our minds are renewed that we have to come to is to understand that we have no life. That's why I pray, I shared this with you, Lord, I don't care if I ever ha- take all my desires away. Take them away. And I don't want to run around miserable because all the things that I would have desired I can't have anymore. I say, just give me your desires. Because all I want is a desire satisfied. I don't care if it's his or if it's mine. If it's mine, I don't know that it's any good. If it's his, I know it's awesome. It's excellent. So I'm just looking to be content and happy. So just take away mine, fill me up with yours, and then satisfy them. And I'm a happy guy, right? Okay. Yeah, maybe that one shouldn't have been in here. I don't know. Thank you. So this transformation, this renewing of our minds, this transformation that comes, it can't just be a transformation of how we think. It has to be a transformation that leads to how we do. James chapter 2 James is going to talk to us a lot today. James is like the guy for this kind of stuff. Like if, you, if you're curious about love, if you're feeling a little love deficit, you read John. If you're feeling like you're kind of lazy, read James. <laughs> James 2, 14 through 18. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. Remember, Matthew 25, whatever you did, whatever you didn't do, do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. If someone may well say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He reinforces that statement in... uh, Verse 26, he says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Do you believe that... Do you believe that believing... Do you believe that believing without doing is dead faith? Because, see, I I think... I think culture inspired by the enemy has found its way into the church, and, and the, the gospel of salvation is a believing gospel and not a doing gospel. But it's a believing and a doing gospel. See, people will criticize me. They say, because you, you don't understand grace, and, and you're all about works and legalism. And I say, I don't think so, because all of the stuff that I would call works falls under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't go to bed, without, or don't go to bed with your anger. Okay, if I walk that out... Is that a work or is that obedient to Jesus as Lord? I think it's obedient to Jesus as Lord. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Is that a work or is that obedient? See, it's a matter of perspective how you think. But we have to come to the place, unless I'm wrong. And honestly, I, I'm an, I, sometimes I feel like I'm a real easy guy to prove wrong. But if you think I'm wrong, then let's have a circle. And let's open our Bibles and let's figure it out together. And then we'll come back up and we'll share it right. But I read it every day. And I, and I study it, and I'm not trying to intimidate you because, you know, you could, there's lots of areas of Scripture people could just really, you know, know a lot more than me. But I feel very confident, or I wouldn't speak with this confidence to you, that this is the way I read the Scriptures, and this is the way I believe that they speak. Okay. James again, chapter 1, 21 through 27. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who 
delude themselves. Remember that word, delude themselves. Read it again. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man, the effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, now, and religious, you know, in our culture, religion is a bad word, right? Religion, form without power. But, but in the context of James here, religious is a good thing. It's like, it's what's your faith? Your religion was, who do you follow? So if, if like, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his religious training, sat under, was it Gamaliel that he sat under, Right? So, so in, in a sense, his religion would have been Gamaliel because that would have been who he followed as a disciple, ultimately the God you know, of the Old Testament God that, that was the Hebrew God, but that's what religion means. It's not a, a four-letter word in this context. Uh, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet he does not bridle his tongue, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives, deceives, there's that word again, his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to, w- to visit widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. To be deluded is to impose a misleading belief on someone or on yourself, to be deceived or to be fooled. So see, he says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word, who deceive themselves, who fool themselves, who take themselves to a place that's not truth. Their religion is worthless. Blessing is found in the effectual doing. This man will be blessed in what he does. Now, if, if it's like, you know, well, that's just James, but Jesus is, a, is, is all about love, let me show you where Jesus says exactly the same thing. In Matthew seven twenty six, Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, does not do something, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And in verse 24, I, I did them backwards because that's the order that, uh, that James did them. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, does them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, this morning I thought I'd go back to Matthew chapter 7 and let you see the context of, of those statements that Jesus is making. That'll be your homework assignment, that plus the 40 chapters of Job or somebody that we asked you to read this week. Go back and look at Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus makes these comments. It's really serious stuff. It directly follows the statement that he makes about away from me, you doers of iniquity. When the people come to him and say, Lord, Lord, but didn't this and didn't that? And he's like, I don't know you. How did I know you? It's by, it's by hearing his words and doing. Okay. James again, chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Or do you think that the scriptures speak to no purpose? Oh, this is revelation for me. This was revelation for me just yesterday, maybe Friday. Or do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit for which, or which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater for, uh, grace. Therefore, it says... God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Here's my revelation. 
Bill Johnson has this statement. He says, the Holy Spirit is trapped inside unbelieving believers. That's a ponderer for you, isn't it? Not unbelieving in the, in, in the sense that they're not saved because he wouldn't be trapped in there, right? He'd be hoping to get in there. But he's trapped in that, that, that there's, no, there's no Christian life that comes out of them. There's no, there's no works. There's no deeds. There's no any of the things that he prepared beforehand for them to do. And, and God's like, I, I, I love my spirit. My spirit is so precious to me. You could blaspheme Jesus a thousand times and go to heaven, but you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit and be forgiven. The spirit is so precious to God. And he says, I put my spirit in you so I could see it come out of you. And I'm so jealous for the spirit that I put inside of you because you don't let it out. You're afraid. You listen to the lies of the devil. He wants his spirit to be manifest through his church just like it was manifest through Jesus when he walked the earth. I had to catch my breath. (laughs) I don't have anointed breathing just yet. Hear this statement. The fruit and literally the evidence of our salvation isn't just found in what we don't do, but also in what we do. Good works, good works, deeds, good works, are not defined by the absence of bad works, but the presence of good works. Okay? two sides. One side is I cuss like a sailor. The other side is I don't say that I love you. Good work. I love you. And I mean it. I love you. Bless you. This part got to go. I can't cuss like a sailor. It's no good. It's got to go. Bad work. Good work got to come. But if I just stop cussing like a sailor, but I don't tell you I love you, have I achieved good works just because I don't do bad works? No. 1 John 3, 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Are you righteous if you're not in this moment practicing? I think you are, because you're found righteous in Christ Jesus, absent from any acts or works that you might do. But if he's in there, he's going to come out. And if he's never coming out, honestly, you might want to wonder if he's really in there or not. Seriously. I mean, I've prayed the salvation prayer ten times. I've I've confessed to the Lord. It's like, man, I'm not positive, God. Let's make sure. Romans 8, 10 through 13. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So on one side, he who practices righteousness is righteous. And on the other side... The deeds of the flesh got to be put to death. I'm almost done. First John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. I love this. Look on the screen. If you have your Bible, look in your own Bible. See, see what the Lord is saying through John. 
We know love by this. We know love. How do we know love? I mean, how do I know? If, I, if I've encountered this thing, how do I know if it's love or not? It's how you, this is how you know if it's love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for each other, for the brethren. So if you see somebody on your behalf laying down their lives, whatever that looks like, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean they stepped in front of the bullet, but it could. But in any way, laying down their lives on your behalf, what you're witnessing, what are you witnessing in that moment? Love. Yes. That's how you know. He goes on. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue. Right? Talk is cheap, but in deed and in truth. See, love abides in action. Love can be felt emotionally. It, it's what, it, the emotion sometimes is what drives the action. You, you can see this in these scriptures, why we feel the Lord is so drawing us to these children that don't have families. And I mean, when they, when they don't have families, sometimes they've been abused. If you go onto that website, you, the website's on the bulletin. Every week, the website's on the bulletin with a picture of the little child that you can pray for. And you read the bios of these children, you'll find that many of them have severe emotional disorders because they've been so abused. They need to come out of that abuse into the love of God, which is active. It can be felt. It can be emotional. But if it doesn't result in action, it's just noise. It's nothing. Love looks like something. Okay, so you may or may not agree with me here, but, but James said that faith, absent works, is what? It's dead. It's not real faith. It's not any kind of faith. It's a, deluding, it's a delusional faith that you think you got something that you don't have because if it's faith, absent of works, it's just dead. So you could argue then that if the measure of our faith is in our works and our works are found lacking, what's our issue? Oh, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, sweetie. He's like, I'm too little to have any works. Cut it out. <laughs> I promise you, she has lots of works, doesn't she? She blesses people every day. Amen. Okay, so back up. Sorry, Dory. Go away. If, and you could argue with me about this. I wouldn't fight you very hard, but if the measure of our faith is in our works and our works are found wanting, what's our issue? Do we need more faith? No, because it's dead what we got. Do we, need, do we need discipline maybe? God, just give me more discipline so I can go out and do some more works and then, then my faith will be alive and I'll really be yours and I'll be a righteous guy. Is, is it discipline that we need more of? It's not. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, and circumcision doesn't mean anything to the point, but it's the scripture. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. So if we are measuring, you know, just because the scripture says to, be, to test yourself, to see, are you in the faith? It's, it's, it's a real verse. I wish I would remember where it is, but it's a real verse. Test yourself. See if you're in the faith. And if you test yourself and you find that the test is in what you do and what you do is found to be lacking, what's your prayer? I need love. Lord, increase me in love. And I know it works because I heard that lady right there preach it to a bunch of women. I, I, I didn't used to be a woman. 
But I did used to work the soundboard, which got you a pass into the women's ministry meeting. And, and she taught that love is a tangible. And it's, it's actually, it's like, if I, I used to work for HP, so if I'm like an inkjet printer, you know, and, and I print, and I'm spraying ink on the paper and, you know, printing things, bulletins every Sunday, my tank goes down. And at some point, I don't put any ink on the, on the paper anymore because I don't have any ink to give. And we just put another thing in there, and HP makes another million dollars, and, and, and we print some more. Love is like that. That's what she taught. And I was just a very young Christian. And, and so I started praying, Lord, give me love. And he says if you pray in his will, he'll answer it, right? Amen. I mean, how could you pray any more perfect in God's will than to ask for love? So I just started praying every day, God, give me love. And you know what happened? I mean, I don't mean to sound like this wonderful guy, but I got love. And I started loving. And I mean, my whole self changed. I couldn't, I, I mean, I, started, I became a hugger. I started hugging people. And, and people used to like talk about getting a hug from me. It's because I could, somehow God could let love come out. But when it comes out, it's got to come back in. So don't beat yourself up. It's only by God's grace that you get anything done that's worth doing. You can't do it on your own. Otherwise, Jesus wasted a trip to the cross and you could have just saved yourself or gone to hell because you didn't. You can't do it on your own. You need heaven's grace. But you need to be conscious that his expectation is that his body is going to get up out of the chair and do something. Yes. So there's a song. Uh, worship band, come back up, please. There's a song that we've sang for, um, uh, I guess, at least a few years. I don't know how old the song is. But it's called Fling Wide. And every once in a while when we sing this song, I always feel like I need to tell people, before you sing this song, that this is an adult Christian song. It's not a baby Christian song. Because you're going to see the words. You're inviting God to take over your life. And you're saying, just take me, use me, you know, refine me like to gold. You know what that means? Yeah. See, we're... We're like this little gold thing. You know, somebody hit the rock and the gold thing, and it's, but it's got all kinds of other stuff, and nobody would pay for it to be in their engagement ring because it's not, it's not good yet. It's just gold in the middle of junk, so it has to go in this fire. And then the, the fire gets so hot, and the junk starts to come off the gold, and the junk rises up to the top, and then they scrape it off. And then some more junk comes to the top. But, but all the while, the gold is cooking in this pot. It's hot and uncomfortable to be in there. And they scrape it off. And they scrape it off. And you know how the guy who makes perfect gold knows when it's done? When he looks in the gold and he sees his reflection perfectly in the gold, he knows that the process is finished. Like one who looks in a mirror. Do you remember? I had two scriptures. I took one out for the sake of time. I wish I wouldn't have done that. That's, what's, that's what you're saying to God when you sing this song. It's like... I'm ready to go in the fire, Lord, so that when I look in the mirror, what I'm going to see is Jesus. And if there's a little bit of thing in there that's me that hasn't died yet, then dunk me back in the fire, let it come up, scrape it off, and stand me up in front of that thing again. All right? Okay, so we're going to sing this song. Before we do, maybe you could stand up again. You've all been sitting. All right, you stand, I'll sit. Somebody should be sitting. You just decide if this is your prayer or not. And you can just quiet amen or loud amen or not amen, whatever you want. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be refined by fire. Thank you for the opportunity, the absolute honor to come to know your love and in your love, Lord, to produce works, good fruit for your kingdom and and for your pleasure and and just, just 
for you, God. So we say, take us and refine us. And we ask, Lord, to fill us with love. Your love, perfect love, the kind of love we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. Lord, that we would never be a clanging cymbal or a sounding gong. Lord, as we sing this song, we recognize that you've called us to die. That we are dead people, filled with your spirit, Jesus on earth, that your kingdom may come, that your will may be done, here, right now, on this earth, as it is in heaven. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.